may be seated. Blessings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Parkview, it's wonderful to be worshiping our Lord together and opening his word. It's very important this morning that you have a copy of God's word before you so that you can see that what I'm speaking on is not human invention or human cleverness, but is the very word of God. And that uh, we're deriving our points and our application from God's word and not just dreaming up what we wish God's word would say. It's very important this morning to do that because we're looking at a uh, very tricky passage, very challenging passage. This week was filled with burden, and I felt embattled this week. It's the Ananias and Sapphira story in Acts, if you're familiar with the Bible at all. In the New Testament, it's one of the more disturbing passages in the whole New Testament, so I want to make sure that we have our Bibles open to hear what God has, God's Word has to say to us this morning. Before we turn there, remember what's been happening so far in the book of Acts, and Acts 1 verse 8 is kind of the theme statement of the whole book. Jesus says the Holy Spirit will come to the church and empower the church for witness, starting in Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. We're in the section in Acts, chapters 2 through 7, where we're focusing on looking at the church's witness in Jerusalem. In this section, uh, the church is facing opposition, right? Especially in chapter 4, we see Peter preaching and the temple leaders and authorities opposing him and threatening him to no longer speak in the name of Jesus. And the passage we saw last week, how do they respond to that? They come together as a church and they pray to the Lord that they would have boldness from the Holy Spirit, boldness from the Holy Spirit to keep proclaiming the word despite external opposition. The passage this morning we're going to see not external opposition, but internal opposition, an internal threat of selfish deception that creeps into the church by Satan's temptation in order to corrupt the unity and holiness of the church. And so we're going to see that our holy Lord Jesus desires us to be a people of generosity and integrity in which what we display publicly what we speak publicly is demonstrated privately in the secrets of our hearts, in the character when no one is watching, right? The famous statement, who you are alone by yourself when no one's watching, that is who you truly are, not the self you present to others that you wish people would think you are. Who you are alone in private by yourself is who we are before the Lord. So let's turn to chapter 4, starting in verse 32. And in this passage, again, we're going to see that because of Christ, we can become, we can, by the help of the Holy Spirit through Jesus, we can become a church more and more marked by generosity and honesty, integrity. So let's listen together to God's word for us from Acts 4, starting in verse 32, all the way through chapter 5, verse 11. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses, they sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. 
Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, native of Cyprus, he sold a field and that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, didn't it remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you've agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of it. This is God's words, fully trustworthy and given to us in love. So let's pray together. Father, this is your word. These here are your people. So I am first and foremost a servant to you and to your word, and secondly, a servant to these beloved, precious people. So help me come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I am so weak. I am so weak. I have felt so embattled. But our greatest desire remains the same every Sunday, that we would see Christ. Show us Christ in all of his loveliness and from his loveliness through the Spirit, teaching us to learn everything you teach. Obey all that you command. Hate, hate all that you hate and delight and love all that you love, trusting your clear promise to us in the gospel of Christ your Son. In his name we pray, amen. I'm getting over a cold, by the way, so if I cough or wipe my nose, that's what's going on. Claire and I recently watched a documentary. Maybe you've seen this documentary. I think it is on Netflix. The documentary is called The Lost Leonardo. It is a painting by da Vinci, once thought totally lost, uh, the Salvador Mundi. And uh, people now are claiming it has been found. In fact, it has sold for, in auctions for like a gazillion trillion dollars. And, uh, but the heart of the documentary is really a question. The question is this, is this actually the true authentic da Vinci or is it a fraud? Is it a deception? Is it not the true authentic 
Da Vinci. So to, to confirm its true authenticity, what they do is they compile a list of experts. One historian from Oxford who is a leading expert on Da Vinci and other art critics and historians who know Da Vinci's work well and they get them together and they do a compel, compare and contrast between comparing the real Da Vinci, contrasting it with other frauds or, uh, or deceptive paintings, ones that are not the real da Vinci. And, and, to, and as we turn to our passage, Luke then becomes this kind of expert art critic, this, this historian of the first century, helping us understand who is the true, authentic people of God. It's one of the most important questions the book of Acts seeks to answer through the whole entirety of the book. What does it mean to be the true, authentic people of God? What are the marks of authenticity? the true da Vinci. And, and in our passage today, Luke does the classic compare and contrast. Spotlighting the original gorgeous da Vinci, but then showing us this horrible, terrible fraud. And by doing this, by presenting first this beautiful picture of a church generous and overflowing and self-giving love to fill the needs of those in their community, he does that first to then to juxtap juxtaposition and contrast something so terrible, so ugly, so fraudulent in the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And so the whole purpose then of Acts 4, 32 to 5 verse 11 is first, yes, to encourage us, to encourage us as God's people to embrace self-giving generosity that's the first point. But then the second point, and I actually think the kind of stronger push of Luke is so that we would resist the danger of self-grasping deception. And so we're going to look at those back to back. First, self-giving generosity, verses 32 to 37. Verses 32 to 37 is the first point. Self-giving generosity. Luke places the original da Vinci right in front of us. And it's a beauty to behold. Look at verse 32 to 33. It's an introduction to the painting, we might say. A church unified. The believers were of one heart and one soul as they generously shared everything in common. And then 33 to 34 shows us the source of this generous unity. And with great power, the apostles are proclaiming their testimony to the risen Lord Jesus. Great power, but then great grace is on all the church, the whole church. Proclamation by God's power of the message of God's saving mercy in Jesus Christ for needy sinners is the primary emphasis of a church, and yet that proclamation leads to a demonstration of that very mercy and grace through a generosity of sharing what we have for the sake of those in need. Verses 34 to 37 further describe the generosity. It says, not a needy person was among them. Not a needy person was among them. And here's why. Please notice the pattern here that Luke outlines. People are owning stuff, but then people are seeing their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in need. So then they are giving up, giving up what they own, selling it, in order to fill the need. Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them as those who were owners of houses or lands sold them, gave them up, and then brought the proceeds, what was sold, laying it at the apostles' feet, which in that time and place would have been an act of, of kind of public, like, hey, I, this, this all now belongs to the church for the sake of blessing the members of the church, a public act of generosity, and then it's distributed to each 
as any had need. Self-giving, the pattern is, self-giving for the sake of need-filling. Self-giving for the sake of need-filling. That's the heart of generosity. And this is illustrated then in a particular way in the example of Barnabas. Barnabas has a field that belongs to him, verse 37, but he sells it. He owns it, belongs it to him. Then he sells it and brings the money, lays it at the apostles' feet, therefore to be shared with those in need. And so here's a beautiful painting of this church standing before us. It's the, it's the Mona Lisa. It's the Last Supper. It's the most brilliant da Vinci. What do we see? It's the people of God being who they were meant to be. We read earlier in a service, Deuteronomy 15, which is God's heart for his people. God's people living in accordance with and reflecting God's character. And Deuteronomy 15 said what? That you would generously give to those in need in your community. And here is Luke saying in the first century, that's coming true in this church. The true people of God, the authentic da Vinci is a church proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, of God's mercy for needy sinners, and then demonstrating that proclamation through generous giving of finances and resources for the sake of needy people in the Christian community. Now to clarify, again, this is, this is not a version of communism here. We can see clearly from chapter 2 of Acts, here in chapter 4, later in chapter 5, it's clarified that these people own their property and they're not forced to sell it. And they're not forced to give it. This is not a forced giving. Rather, it's a free willingness of their hearts to unfurl the white-knuckle grip of valuing what the world so much values in this earthly life of my stuff, my money, my time, my needs— but to overflow in generosity for the sake of filling the needs of those in the community. It is what our God is most fundamentally like, a God so generous, self-giving love, overflowing from the fullness of himself to give us what we need to provide for us. And so often that's happening through the church. So Parkview, a question as we look at this first section here of this beautiful picture of self-giving generosity is this. What need right now are you aware of that the Lord is calling you to fill? If at the heart of the authentic people of God is this spirit-given, spirit-empowered, self-giving for the sake of others filling, what need what need do you see in your life, in your family, here at Parkview Church? Maybe our brothers and sisters in Christ globally. What need do you see? Are you aware of? And how can you, this week, Monday morning, 10 a.m., what would it look like for you to take a step forward in meeting that need? For a Christian, human need is a homing beacon for compassion and mercy and generosity. That's what it means to be an authentic, true Christian. That's what we see in the first section here, verses 32 to 37, the picture of self-giving generosity. But Luke is a master art instructor, and he has shown us the original, the authentic, the gorgeous, beautiful da Vinci. But now he's going to contrast it with the fraud. He's going to contrast it with 
the deception, the, the self-grasping deception, we might say, of verses 1 to 11, the story of Ananias and Sapphira. It's like walking up to a picture, reading this, is like walking up to a picture in the museum, and uh, it's a disturbing image. You probably don't want your kids to see this one, that type of image. Something that makes our insides turn because in verses 1 to 11, we see a terrifying picture of what happens when the spirit-filled way of Jesus is flipped on its head from generosity of self-giving for need-filling. It's now swapped for something totally opposite. For self-grasping deception privately while publicly declaring something that you are actually not because you're hiding something in private. Look carefully at the pattern here. Verse one, a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. So far, we might say, so good. In fact, hey, this looks like the original, original Da Vinci. Okay, but verse two, and with, don't miss this, notice the details of the text here, friends. And with his wife's knowledge, with his wife's knowledge, somehow we might say in secret, in private, there was a premeditated uh, plan between Ananias and Sapphira. She knowing what Ananias is planning to do and what he's planning to do is to keep back for himself, for himself, some of the proceeds and only bringing part of it and get this, right? Then the public action, laying it before the apostles' feet. Isn't it so wonderful? Ananias and Sapphira. Did you see them last week? Did you see them lay it all before the apostles? Did you see how amazingly godly they are? Did you, did you see the way that they just are so generous with their stuff? Did you see how radically and faithfully they follow God? Did you, did you see them? Isn't it amazing what they've done? Isn't it just so wonderful how they have cared so much, that they've given so much to the church. Isn't it amazing how wonderful they are as Christians? Keeping back for themselves in private proceeds for their own selfish indulgence. To declare something publicly of what you want other people to see about you. But then secretly in private to be someone directly opposite of the person you're portraying in public. It's a real problem because Peter, starting in verse three, gets right at the heart of the issue. He asks several questions, really the the main heart of it is the first question. He says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? To lie to the Holy Spirit and then to keep back for yourself some of the proceeds. You see, a spirit-filled Christian, what we see in the authentic da Vinci, a spirit-filled Christian is one who has generosity by self-giving, that their public life and their private life are, has this kind of integrity, a wholeness, a completeness. Sure, not perfection, of course, not a perfection here. 
But there is integrity, there is honesty, and yet what we have here is the exact opposite. A Satan-influenced person, Satan filling the heart, deception by self-grasping. And then in verse four, though it belonged to him, is what Peter's argument is in the first couple. Didn't you know that it belonged to you? You had no obligation to give. Why would you contrive this deed in your heart? Why would you concoct this deceptive plan to display publicly something you are actually not doing privately? Why would you do that? Verse four, you have not lied to man, but to God. The pattern here is Satan filling the heart to lie to God, to lie to God through actually lying to the church community by secretly indulging in something in private, but declaring the opposite of that publicly. In 2 Timothy 3, the Apostle Paul really kind of pit, pit, uh, picks up the same pattern. And it's a list of, and this happens a lot, a lot in Paul's letters, it's a list of all these terrible sins adultery, stealing. Just go, it just goes down the list. All these terrible lists. At the very end of the list, in 2 Timothy 3, Paul says the apex of sins is having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And then to make this point more clear, look at what happens to Ananias. He He dies. And great fear comes on the whole church. And then to then increase the volume of intensity of just how terrible this is, enter Sapphira the wife who knew about this plan, but verse seven in irony, doesn't know what has happened now to her husband, enters in. In verse eight, Peter asks, tell me, Sapphira, now's your turn. Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she says, and we understand this to be a lie, yes, for so much. Because the point, again, verse, verse eight, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Then boom, boom, behold the feet of those who have buried your husband. They are at the door and they will carry you out. And immediately she falls down dead, verse 11, and great fear comes upon all who heard this. Parkview, why is this passage so serious? Because self-grasping deception, selfish indulgence of sin and private, while appearing to the church com community as someone godly and faithful and really living all for Christ, laying it all at the apostles' feet, to do that two-faced lying, just think about it. It is to lie to God, as the passage say. It is, a, it is a lie against God, the Holy Spirit. Just think about it. The same Holy Spirit that empowered the church to embody the character of God, the Holy Spirit who guards and keeps the church pure by creating within the church a self-giving generosity for the sake of need-filling, we, through the sinfulness of our hearts, invert that on its head, flipping it upside down, and deceptive self-grasping for secret, private indulgence. 
This is then to make God, listen carefully here. This is to make God look like a fraud. It is to make da Vinci look like an ugly forgery. Because it says something publicly to the world that is not true about the Holy Lord above. And this should give us a holy sense of fear, the holy fear that arises in our hearts when we hear stories of a famous apologist who uses their public ministry to commit perverted acts of sin against weak and vulnerable people. It is the type of holy fear that arises in our hearts when we hear about leading Christian institutions or churches that use their public power to then silence ongoing, repetitive, unrepentant abuse behind closed doors. That feeling in your guts when you get the Twitter update about that story, and there's so many of them, I don't even need to name names. There's a whole podcast about it. The feeling in your gut is a sign as you made in the image of a God who's so holy, the Bible calls him a consuming fire, to give us a picture of how serious and warped and twisted and fraudulent this sin really is. Parkview, there should be among us a holy God-honoring fear when we try to make God look like a stupid little silly clown where we can play these games because God is so foolish and dumb and I can play this little religious game of hide and seek hiding my private sin while seeking public recognition and approval and thumbs up and likes and Twitter retweets from the people around you. But Parkview Church, God is not mocked. He is the Lord who sees the secrets of everyone's hearts and he will one day expose them. The deception of publicly declaring membership in a church, but then privately never giving to that church and, and never serving in that church and never sacrificing to that church, that is an act of deception. The deception of being a public leader of God's people, exhorting, and I'm saying this, wanting me to hear this sermon, please understand, I'm preaching this to myself, of of exhorting people to increase their devotion to Christ through, through prayer and Bible reading. While the temptation is to then privately neglect my own soul and not actually give a rip about growing in Christ. But publicly, publicly, the deception of exhorting young people toward sexual purity and faithfulness to Jesus while indulging in secret fantasy alone by yourself at 11 p.m. at night in your room alone. The deception of complaining about members in the church who are not mature enough or radical enough for Jesus like you are while privately nurturing bitterness and anger towards them in your heart. Having the appearance of godliness while denying its power. And great fear came upon the whole church to declare something publicly that's not true of who you actually are 
privately. Lying against God. So what do we do? What do we do when we see the beauty of the self-giving generosity? We see the gorgeous outlines of the da Vinci. But then we are seeing and and exposed in terms of the the forgery, the ugliness of the self-grasping deception that all of our hearts are prone to, whether in uppercase D deception or lowercase d deception of literally public, I'm a Christian, but in your private life, ongoing, sinful, unrepentant chaos that you're not receiving the mercy of Christ. But then also that little d deception where we all have gaps of integrity before, between public life and private life. What do we do? Well, we must look at the artist. We must go back to the artist. I mean, could you imagine if in that documentary that we watched, they could actually interview Da Vinci? Da Vinci, all of a sudden, the camera turns, there he is, and all of his old self telling us, here, here is the authentic, and here is the deception. You see, Parkview, in Jesus Christ, the artist has entered his world. The artist has spoken. The artist, the God of self-giving love, of self-giving for the sake of need-filling, Jesus has come, and he's told us, right, how reprehensible hypocrisy is, that deception. Where in Matthew 6 and later in Matthew, I think it's 23 and 24, when Jesus is so fierce against hypocrisy of peering before others as righteous, but neglecting that private, secret life of holiness before, before the Lord. Jesus shows us this as the, the true artist of what is authentic. And, 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 yet, and yet, think about what you see in Jesus. Don't you love this about Jesus? Just think about it. When you're hearing the stories of the famous Christian pastor or apologist or institution where publicly they've been a bastion for truth, but then privately they've been doing such perverted wickedness. You realize how much your heart breaks because the deeper you went into knowledge of them, the more exposed and wicked they become. But flip that and this is what you get with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the most highly authentic, glorious, beautiful human where, get this, the deeper you go into Jesus, the more you explore his character, the more you understand who he truly is, the more you see this perfect, beautiful connection between public life of teaching and private life of devotion to the Lord. This is the good news for all of us, that there's never a point at which, I heard one person say this, there's never a point at which you'll get to a point with Jesus it'll be exposed as a fraud. The deeper you go into knowing Jesus, the more authentic and beautiful and gorgeous he truly is to your heart. And this is the person that amidst the corruption of our heart and the temptations of Satan, we have to get clear about Jesus Christ. If you think about the greatest scientists in the world who are dealing with the most dangerous, terrible chemicals, 
The only way they can deal with those chemicals is if they put on a protective safety hazmat suit and deal with those chemicals. The only way you and I will get honest with ourselves and honest with one another and ultimately honest before the Lord about the terror and ugliness of our deception and sin that can linger and say in contempt is if we have the hazmat protective safety suit of the gospel of Jesus Christ in which we understand that Jesus does not love the fake you that you present before everyone else. Jesus actually deeply loves the real you, the one with all of the inconsistencies, the one with all of the brokenness, the one with all of the deception, the one with all of that, that corruption in your heart. And he demonstrates this love for you by going to a cross and the crucified Lord Jesus bearing upon himself death, death and judgment for your sin and mine so that we don't have to end up like Ananias and Sapphira. Because as we look at the cross of Jesus Christ, we see there a covering and a cleansing for all of our sin, for all of the unrighteousness in our lives, for all of those secrets that we think if, if he actually knew or if that person actually knew and I just am so insecure, I've got to publicly portray myself as godly because I need someone to approve of me. The cross of Christ is your approval. It's all that you need to know that you are loved. You, the real you, not the you that you wish you were, or that you wish people knew about you. The real broken, sinful you, Jesus loves that you, and he demonstrates that through crucifixion on a cross. Dying in your place. This is the gospel we proclaim every week. And the reason we proclaim this gospel is so that we would never have to become a church of Ananias and Sapphira, of appearing godly, but denying its power, but the power of the gospel of Christ invading your heart actually frees you up to be a person of honesty and integrity. The people with the most honesty and integrity that I've ever seen in my life, the one secret of their success, I might say, is there people who understand that simultaneously they are prone to such vile wickedness apart from the mercy of Christ and yet they are so deeply loved and accepted and welcomed through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and they're able to get honest and confess how they're really doing and they're able to actually make strives towards holiness because they realize the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, fills them not of self-grasping, but that through his resurrection, Jesus is building a new community of self-giving love. And as they receive that love on the cross, Jesus emptying himself for all of our human need, we become those very same people. And so the application today, Parkview Church, is very simple. It's that through Jesus Christ, we can become, and only through Jesus Christ, do you see the uniqueness of what Christ offers you in the gospel? The man of integrity bearing your shame and degradation on the cross, that only through Jesus can we become people both 
of generosity and honesty. Generosity and honesty. First, generosity. I've loved hearing stories of our brothers and sisters in Ukraine and surrounding regions who are sacrificing their time. Some of them are getting sick because they're spending so much time pouring out, pouring out, pouring out. I heard one story of a pastor who has a cold and he gets home after 24 hours straight of helping these refugees from Ukraine and he goes on his recliner because his bed's being used. On This is how I remember. Maybe I'm getting the details wrong, but I think this is how it is. On his recliner, he takes a nap so other people can sleep. He wakes up and he goes back and he serves. Do you know why he's so generous? Because he understands who Jesus is. Self-giving for need-filling. But then, secondly, honesty. 1 John 1 is a, is a passage we talk about a lot, about walking in the light. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin because if we say, I don't got sin, I don't have sin, we lie. We lie, says 1 John. So we can take the mask off because of what Christ has done for us. So brothers and sisters, is there first is there honesty in your relationship with the Lord and man this has been oh this has been really good for me and challenging transforming for me and just uh, we can actually be honest with the Lord about how we're really doing because of Christ and his cleansing forgiving he's not there to crush you he's there to redeem you and save you and help you but are we being honest with our brothers and sisters in Christ? Is there someone in this church or some Christian in your life whom you can say, hey, publicly, I, I am wanting, and I get this, there's, there's so many of us here, okay, don't, don't, you're not Ananias and Sapphira in terms of actually unrepentant rebellion against the Lord. That's what this sin is, right? But, but you're saying, I want to be publicly this person of godliness, but, but yet I, I sense these temptations. Brother or sister, can you pray for me? I sense these temptations. Could, could, could you just meet with me on a weekly basis so I can confess sin and pray for each other? Could, could you meet with me so I can be honest with you? Because I want to strive for holiness. That's what the Lord does for us, if we know the gospel of Christ. Friends, will we come to Jesus Christ, the generous one, the, the integrity one, the, the honest one, and all of his love for us and pour our hearts before him. So I'm gonna give a few moments here to pray before the Lord for you, that you would pray, and then I'll close our time in prayer and move to communion. Father, we need the mercy of Christ and that is what we have in the gospel of your son. And so, Lord, expose us where we need to be exposed, but, but immediately drive us to the finished work of Jesus and all that he's accomplished for us on the cross and how that gives us freedom for both self-giving generosity and resisting that temptation towards deception that we can get honest with you and our neighbors because of the depth of your love for us in Christ, Lord. By your spirit, refresh us, show us, convince us, convince us right now that's who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.